Welcome to Friends with Mental Health Benefits. I'm Mara Lighty. And I'm Naomi Hirabayashi. And we're the founders of Shine, the inclusive mental health company built for all of us because we believe that everyone deserves to feel seen, supported, and cared for in their mental health journey. We started Shine after leaning on each other for mental health support at work. We realized we didn't always feel comfortable talking about our mental health because we didn't really see anybody else doing that, especially at the top. But we're all going through something. So with this podcast, we want to shine a light on the people you might think have it all together. You're going to hear from leaders and founders about how they're actually doing and how we can all learn from them to better care for our own mental health. And today we are so excited to be joined by our incredible friend, Reshma Sajani. Reshma is a leading activist and the founder of Girls Who Code and Marshall Plan for Moms. She's also the author of the new book, Pay Up, which if you haven't read, you definitely should. Reshma has spent more than a decade building movements to fight for women and girls' economic empowerment, working to close the gender gap in the tech sector, and most recently advocating for policies to support moms who have been impacted by this pandemic. Reshma is also the author of the international bestseller, Brave Not Perfect. And if you are around young girls or raising young girls, I highly recommend it. It's incredibly helpful. And her TED Talk that illustrates it, Teach Girls Bravery, Not Perfection, is also amazing and has over 5 million views globally. Reshma actually started her career as an attorney and democratic organizer. In 2010, she surged onto the political scene as the first Indian American woman to run for Congress. God, you're such a badass. It's like, just my, it's like, I just got so energized by rereading this this morning. Rashma lives in New York City with her incredible husband, Nahal, their son, Sean, and Sai, and their bulldog, Sandy, or Sandy, and their bulldog, Stanley, aka Sandy. So, <laughs> <laughs> welcome, Rashma. We're, we're so excited to have you. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. I remember the first time I met you still, like it was yesterday. When you guys came to see me in App Nexus to talk to me about what you were building. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. Girls Who Code Days. I forgot in that building, that big building. I remember that day. Oh, I just saw something magical in the both of you, so it's so great to be here. Oh, Rashma, thank you so much for saying that. And um, we felt just so honored to meet you and know you. Um, obviously, as someone that you're just so prolific <laughs> and you've you've achieved so much. And we've been lucky enough to know you since like the very, very early days of Shine. All, all the iterations too of me. Yes. Yeah. All the iterations. have all oh grown up. Yes. But yes. Uh, Reshma and her husband Nahal, Nahal's on the board actually of Shine and is fantastic. And we always talk about Nahal is both of you just had that energy of you remember who treats you really well before you've, you know, you've kind of been out there and gotten that public validation. Mm-hmm. And you and Nahal have always been those people for us. You both are individually people we really look up to. And as a couple, I mean, it's like power couple goals and power couple with compassion. Um, And you've just set such a beautiful example of what it means to live fully, both in your career, but also as as a family unit. So we just, we admire you so deeply. Truly our day one, like seriously, day day one. You guys are, it's too kind. And I remember too, when we came to that building and it's such a small thing, Rashma, but I remember you had a hoodie on and I just was like, I I just hadn't seen, it's so small, but I just remember my brain at that time, 
you were just so like related. We sat at like a communal table with us and you gave us your focus time. Like you were, tell me about Shine. Like, you know, I've heard a little bit about it. How can I help? What do you need? And you followed up. You were so incredibly helpful. And like Naomi said, like you never forget those people because I think you can't do it without them. Like you can't do it without the people because the secret is like you often don't believe in yourself, you know, that early on. You're like, oh, I have this idea, but I don't know. And it's, you know, it's your heart. You're taking it out and you're hoping people don't judge it and that they're supportive and to have someone who's um just sees you I think more than anything is it's game changing so um no thank you you for saying that truly couldn't be here without you well I just remember meeting the two of you and was I was so impressed and I just loved your energy and you were so freaking smart and you were so before your time Mm -hmm. um in talking about mental health um I remember saying to Nahal afterwards like wow like I met these two young women that are just extraordinary and like I think also just recognizing too, like how um, the VC community sometimes misses extraordinary women of color. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and again, I just, I remember that day uh, like it was yesterday. So, so it's so wonderful to be here with the two of you and congratulations to all the powerful work and important work that you're doing and you did it. Thank you, Rashma. We're really going to hold on to those words. And like we said, just, yeah, an honor to share your, your brilliance with our community Um, And just to kick things off, we want to start with a question that Mara and I try to do at every one of our check-ins, which is every day, and also with the team, which is, how are you really doing? And if it's helpful, something that we do as a team to like, kind of give ourselves some structure around that is little picture, big picture. So little picture, how are you in this moment? And then big picture, like, how are you feeling overall in, in your life? Yeah, I mean, I think little picture, I'm a little tired. Yeah, um, it's real. You know, I've been grinding mm-hmm. for um, my book and Marshmallow for Moms. You know, we're just kind of going through. Our little baby was sick for a while. We were in the ER mm. last week. And so mm. I've had a little more travel. Like it's, it's been like re-entry for me and like, you know, speeches again in front of thousands of people. People wanting to hug you, touch you, kiss you, <laughs> and just being fully present. So it's been a lot of energy. Yeah. Um, I say sometimes to our babysitter, who I love, Farah, I'll sometimes I'll be like, I don't, I don't feel like being rushed with Johnny today. Yeah. And I, I definitely feel like um, I'm, I'm kind of there. I think it's just because I need, I just need a little bit of a break. Because yeah. I'm deeply in love with what I'm doing and what I'm saying and what I'm. I think it's because I'm so emotionally invested mm-hmm. um, that right, it takes all of this kind of energy out of you. Um, big picture, I've never been more joyful mm-hmm. doing exactly what I want to do. I feel like um, I'm getting to spend more time with my kids, mm-hmm. my husband, like I'm doing my health. You know, I, I play tennis three, four times a week. Oh, wow. um, awesome. I feel like physically I'm strong. Mentally, I'm, you know, strong. You know, I'm going to my Bhagavad Gita classes once a week, which are really important to me. So, Yeah. That's where I am. Good for that, you, Rash. It's, oh, oh, go ahead, no. No, no, go ahead, Mara. <laughs> I, um, you know, part of the goal of this podcast is to kind of help leaders, you know, be more vulnerable and open up about the tough stuff. And I just think about the example that you've set by just naturally, you just naturally do that. And we don't always realize the impact that has on other people, but just even by saying like, hey, I'm, I'm tired, I'm having a bad day. Mm-hmm. I remember... Um, a coach told me once as a leader, you are the weather. And I think the way that I took it was not the way she meant it, Mm. which was like, 
you know, get it together, lock it up. You can't have a bad day. You know, all days are good days. And if you're having a bad day, like keep it to yourself. And that was, you know, really early on in Shine. And I think spending more time with her and, you know, time as a leader of the company, I think I learned that like, oh, when she said you are the weather, you know, it was about not just how I'm feeling. And if I feel a certain way, other people are going to feel that way. It's the exact opposite. It's about being vulnerable and, and opening up. And that allows other people to do that. So I just, um, I appreciate that. It's just nice to hear, you know, another person who's working and a parent and, you know, living this big life and is so happy overall, which I can so relate to, but is also tired, which I can also relate to, you know? (laughs) So I'd I'd love to hear, I think, you know, part of of what we're hoping to share with our listeners is, is more of that. And, you know, as I mentioned, Reshma has been so open about her mental health, you know, what that was like in her political journey to what that was like in her fertility journey as a founder. And I'm just curious, like, what has it been like leading up to this moment for you where you're, you know, living in your truth, you feel like this is exactly the work you're supposed to be doing. What does the behind the scenes look like for you? Well, so I think you two both can relate. Like I was raised as daughter of immigrants. You know, you never showed your emotion. I don't even think we hug in my family, mm. you know, much less say I love you. Like it's, mm. it's very, very, very kind of, um, uh, but we're also, it's, it's bizarre though, because but we're also very brutally honest with each other, <laughs> but it's like, so it's like, we're not fake. We're actually too honest, but we're also <laughs> not really physically. So everyone teases me, right? Because I never give a hug. I don't like people touching me, except my kids. Mm. Um, my dog was probably the best thing that happened to me because I finally learned affection. Mm. Yeah. Um, this is all what my husband tells me. But <laughs> so, you know, because I, I grew up with two refugees that had a lot of financial stress and just a lot of stress. And um, I got very good very early of compartmentalizing, you know, how I was feeling, how my parents were feeling, what was happening with what was showing up and being a good mm-hmm. student and going to school every day and, you know, um, compartmentalizing. And so I, I think part of that was being very good about how to control my emotions. Mm-hmm. So my friends always say to me today, you are the strongest person that I know because I am like a rock. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody has a problem, somebody's dying, somebody has this, like, I'm there and I can kind of hold it together and navigate everybody through, you know, really tough times. I don't know if you've ever been, I hope you haven't, in an emergency room or a doctor's office with your kid. But it's really funny because you, I would think that Nahal would be the one like, okay, let me hold him while he gets a shot. Oh, no. Right. It's like he's hiding in the corner while <laughs> yeah. we are there, yeah. you know, steady yeah. Freddy. Right. Yeah. So I think that's the role I have always played in my mm. family, in my my this family and in my friends. And I think that definitely goes back to the way that I was raised. Mm-hmm. Now, I would argue that then becoming a CEO and a leader, even a congressional candidate and then a leader, um, you really weren't able to show emotion when things didn't go your way or you were upset. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember when I lost my congressional race, I had, I was devastated. And there was this young girl, Rebecca, who was like, you know, with me basically the whole time. And when I was getting the results back in, I wanted to cry so bad. Mm-hmm. But I remember looking her, at her and thinking, I can't cry because if I cry, then Rebecca will see me cry mm-hmm. and that will define her for the rest mm-hmm. of her life, right? Because back then, being a strong woman and being a vulnerable were not 
in the same sentence. Right, right. And that was double confounded for me as I was a woman of color mm -hmm. who was told that all the time. And so, you know, as I was building Girls Who Code, kind of same thing. Like, I never cried in a staff meeting. I would, I was just talking about this earlier, you know, miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage, I would just, mm -hmm. no heartbeat, okay. Mm -hmm. I gotta get on stage and introduce Obama. No heartbeat, okay. I gotta go um, raise money for Girls Who Code and speak to 100 people. No heartbeat, okay, I gotta go sit in front of 600 people. And so I had really bought into kind of girl boss culture mm -hmm. and the examples and role models that we had seen of women that you never show any pain. Yeah. You never show any vulnerability. Like the, this is the price that you pay, you know what I mean? To make a difference, to change the world, to be a leader. Mm -hmm. And so showing any vulnerability is weakness. And people will either take advantage of you or they won't respect you. And so I got very good at that. And I think it really broke for me. I would say it broke for me twice. Once it broke for me after the second round of miscarriages with my second. And I just couldn't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I had this, ins I had remember found out like at four o'clock that we didn't have a heartbeat. And then I had to get a on a plane to Utah, um, four o'clock in the morning. And I had to get a plane to Utah. And I remember I got there, I'm sitting there, I'm doing this whole kind of, you know, ribbon cutting ceremony with the governor of Utah, mm -hmm. 700 girls in a room. Again, I desperately wanted a daughter. Mm -hmm. And I just did it. And I was so ashamed of myself afterwards because um, I couldn't say, no, I can't show up today. Right. I can't do that. And that I could, had, I had conditioned myself so well, again, after eight, nine years of miscarriages to keep doing that. I was like, is there something wrong with me? Mm. Like that is not normal, right? Nothing in, and I remember breaking down to my E-team basically being like, I, I need a break. I can't, yeah. this is what's been happening to me. I need you to, Deborah, I need you to take this. Tariq, I need you to take yeah. this. Fergus, I need you to take this. And it was so liberating for us as a team. Yeah. You know, and I think really, we were always close, but made us even closer. Um, that people wanted me to lean on them. That I could show vulnerability and still be more respected. Sorry, I just gave you a lot. You did, <laughs> no, you did, I, and we appreciate it. I, no, that was, that was just so, just thank you for sharing that, Rashma. And I think... There's so much, like there's so many lessons in that. And, you know, this team knows this, this, I'm really excited to be as far as long as I am, but I had two losses before this. And I think it's, I, rem, I, I can relate so much to the, even in such a safe space in my own company, there is this narrative of like, get through it, just like get through it and show up and like show that you can keep moving through life when you're dealing with something so, so heavy. And, um, I just, yeah, I'd be like curious to hear from you, like, where do you think that comes from? Like, you know, you talk a lot about systems and the individual, right? Like in terms of the pressure that we put on ourselves to just kind of like move through it, what can we do as individuals to kind of change that? And then like, what are the, the other social elements at play that are causing us to think that we can't just say like, I can't do this today mm. or I can, yeah. I can rely on my team or I can share in a way that like takes the pain out of my body a little bit. Yeah. And it's funny because as you're talking, I'm like, oh, it's not just a gendered issue. Mm. I think it is a very kind of American, I don't know if it's rugged individualism. I don't know if it's hustle culture, mm. but it's a sense of that, like, like you said, you just got to move through it, like being resilient, being tough, mm. 
Right. And this is when you saw whether it was Serena Williams or Naomi, like kind of say, no, 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 no. I can't keep showing up this way. Yeah. Um, that we started to kind of have a different conversation uh, in terms of like what our expectations are. But I think that that has been a shift that in many ways has been given grace by the pandemic. Yes. Um, yeah. As, a, as an, an admirable quality and not a sign of weakness. Yes. And I think it's always been seen as a sign of weakness. And it's why women haven't, haven't been given leadership roles, right? The whole thing about, oh, she's going to get her period and be emotional and pull the switch. <laughs> right. Right? right? It goes it's way so deeply. It's, it's like women are not prepared to lead, be lead because they are emotional, because they are vulnerable. So we in particular have been very careful to never show any type of vulnerability because they'll take it away from us mm. yeah. then. Yeah. And so it's very hard for us to then build, you know, a new culture where actually that's seen as a sign of strength. And it's almost like you actually need men in many ways to shift it first, to normalize it. And that sucks that we're saying that. But and I think in some ways men have with mental health, right? It's millennials, not just women, but just generally millennials coming into my office and being like, so what's your therapy benefits? Mm, that's awesome, yeah. And that was like, the first time that that happened, I was like, oh my God, you're saying the T word? What? Right. <laughs> and I was so yeah. proud of them yeah. Yeah. because they just opened up the entire room to something that now is actually quite normalized. Mm-hmm. What's fascinating to me the subset of the working population that is still stigmatized for showing any vulnerability or cracks are working moms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's so much to dig into. And one thing I was just thinking of is just how you reiterated how much sexism is ingrained in us and just this mm-hmm. this culture where we, and even to your question, Naomi, where we're it can be this circular logic where we're like, where does that come from? And it, to me, it's like almost always the patriarchy and white supremacy are usually the answers for, you know, where this like kind of ingrained sense of I can't or we can't be vulnerable. We can't speak about what we're going through. Show any emotion. Yeah. I mean, juxtapose like Judge Kathanji Jackson's Mm -hmm. hearings and the kinds of things that were said to her and she was just poised. You know, juxtapose that with Brett Brett Kavanaugh's hearings. Right, right. Imagine if she did what he did. I mean, it would immediately play into all the stereotypes, and yeah. she knows that so well. And we know it. Yeah. We know it. So again, there's like, there is this inherent sexism. Again, the entire conversation around Will Smith and Chris Rock and the slap. Mm-hmm. So there is a gendered and a racial interpretation of emotion, interpret mm-hmm. vulnerability, interpret admitting any type of mental health issues that one may feel one may be facing and not having a lot of empathy and sympathy generally in society but in some ways i would argue it depends on who is expressing the need for support and help yeah Mm. let's take a quick break and hand it over to joy the host of the daily shine to share more on how you can take better care at work you're not alone if you're feeling anxious or stressed as we all collectively process crisis uncertainty, and navigating the changes to the workplace. Your feelings are valid. That's why the team behind Shine's award-winning app created Shine at Work 
an employee well-being program rooted in culturally competent care. Shine at Work helps create psychologically safe workplaces with programming and content rooted in inclusivity. When you bring Shine at Work to your workplace or school, your team will get identity-based mental health programming led by representative experts to support their well-being and create a culture of belonging. Head to the shineapp.com benefits to learn more about how you can bring Shine at Work to your workplace. That's the shineapp.com benefits to learn more. remember somebody that was a leader at a company that we'd worked for that, um, you know, I think was well-intentioned, but I went to them when I was struggling and I, I told her I was having a lot of anxiety and I was struggling with these specific things related to the work environment. And she mentioned that she knew people that had anxiety, but she also mentioned that she didn't believe in it and she didn't believe in depression. Um, and then I remember later reaching out when we had started shine, we reached out to just like women who had been in the startup scene or started companies. And we, you know, were very candid. Like we want to talk about your experience as women or, you know, people that can relate to us. And we often heard, I don't talk about that. That's really not affecting my experience. And I think the conversation and even some of those people have changed so much even since then because of this kind of opening up of the conversation around, you know, feminism, meaning it's so much more about equity than it is about bra burning and all the yeah. like dated views we have of that. And just this idea of of being able to like question what's been ingrained in us um, and yeah. be open about what we're going through. Yeah. And that means questioning the way that workplaces have been designed, mm -hmm. right? So workplaces were always designed around white men who had a stay-at-home partner. right? And they never wanted women in the workplace, especially women of color. And so to get into the workplace, you had to hide half of yourself. And any kinds of anxieties, challenges that came with that other identity called mom. Mm. So there was no putting a picture up of your children. There was no, hey, I got to leave at three and pick up my kid you know, or take my kid to a doctor's appointment or a parent-teacher conference or watch them go to soccer, you had to actually just hide it mm. or apologize for it when it became inconvenient. That's right. And so the entire, I mean, think about pregnancy. I find, you know, it's so interesting that like, it is normal to us that the vast majority of women who have gotten pregnant hide their pregnancy until the last possible second because they assume that they're gonna be discriminated against. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there's just an article like Zoom so great because you can hide it till nine months. Like, that's problematic, right? right? right. I and mean, that, that just shows how broken workplaces are, that we assume discrimination mm. and we're not even mad about it. We just plan around it. We're thankful for it. And yeah. so like, we're thankful, right. We're not thankful for it, Or like, for we're it, like, oh, we thankful for technology, yeah, right? For helping right. us basically <laughs> yeah. solve it. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's just so it's just so so clear that like workplaces are just have never been designed for working moms, and so how do you change that? And how do you and how do you recognize the mental health toll that has been be created that has been now being put on working women? I mean, the CDC released a report right that the second largest subgroup that is facing anxiety and depression after nineteen to twenty four year olds is moms. Yeah, and I don't see the Surgeon General report. I don't see the memo from every corporate leader saying, okay, we got a problem here. Right. You know, we have an epidemic here that we have to basically figure out how are we supporting. I don't think there has been one company, if you're listening, please tell me if you are, that has said, this is our policy 
on how we're supporting working women who are facing extreme burnout yes. from, again, medically. And this is how we're thinking about dealing with that from an HR perspective. It's wild. It is. And I thought it was really interesting. I know you. this is a big part of your conversation around pay up, something that you mentioned earlier in the podcast, how this kind of awakening around the pandemic where the people that want to stay home more and have more flexibility are people of color and working parents and the intersectionality of those two identities because there is there's a flexibility and there's a comfort and there's a safety that people are feeling for the first time. And also there is more pressure on primarily women um, and, and working mothers or, you know, inside and outside the home to be a teacher, to be a mental health coach to their child, to, um, you know, navigate taking care of work and also being at home all the time and all the things that go into that responsibility. Can you share a little bit about how that informed yeah. so much of the conversation and pay up and Marshall Plan for Moms? You're absolutely right. Like, it's so crazy to me that all these CEOs are like, return back to the office five days a week as if the old normal was working. Right. I mean, so many people of color were facing microaggressions at work. Every day was a struggle to go to work because someone was going to say something racist or foolish or make a comment about your fact you're wearing your natural hair. Like, or make a sexist comment. So it, what, workplaces were never working for the vast majority of people. Right. But still, it's like in this acknowledgement, right, that like people are in many ways happier, more productive. But still, there's this return to normal mm. that was the normal workplace that was racist and sexist. Yeah. Like, and who did that work for? It doesn't make sense. Like, let's mm -hmm. question who right. who did normal serve? And, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's something I, I would love your thoughts on, Rashma. Like, what can we do? Like, what we, we think about, particularly yeah. in this time where no one really has the, the silver bullet. And there's so much that we've talked about over decades about the future of work. And I remember future of work conferences and books, <laughs> and they almost always meant a future where we work remote and hybrid, there's flexibility, there's more equity, there's more intersectionality. And that's here. Like we are here today in the future of work, yeah. but no one knows what they're doing. So uh, <laughs> what do we do? How do yeah. we think about creating more equitable workplaces? Well, read my book, because that's what it's about, right? <laughs> it's, it's like nine strategies about how we do that. Um, but I think the first thing is to say, okay, listen, the, the conversation we've been having the past few years is about return to work or not return to work. And like, let's move on. Mm. Let's have a different conversation about how to design what is the current normal, which is people are working from a hybrid. They should be working hybrid. We should be supporting flexibility and remote work. We should be thinking about design differently. Like, why are office hours nine to five and school days eight to three? Ooh, like, that is a word. <laughs> that is so real. Yes, does, yes. That doesn't. And why do we have to go back to that? Yeah. Like we don't, yeah. right? And so I think really thinking about design mm. and, and maybe every office has their own design depending upon who's there and saying, all right, collectively, what works for us? Um, and how do, we, how do we implement that? So, so again, I think that we have this opportunity. Like I always say, that this is the new resistance mm. over the next six to eight months. 2020, we put our pussy hats on and we marched in Washington. Today, I don't know what the hats look like, <laughs> but the resistance is resisting the return to old normal. Mm -hmm. And, it, and it's, it comes from the very top, from President Biden saying, go back to the office, from our mayor, Eric Adams, being like, get out of your pajamas. I mean, come on, how insulting is that? So for whatever reason, I mean, I think it's about more about Midtown and rents 
than it is about what is working and what is not working. Mm. Um, but there is the power structure saying, come back. And the masses saying, no, I don't want it. Why would I commute two hours a day and never see my children right. or take care of my elderly parent or my pet to go work in an office where I'm just as productive, just as collaborative? Here, why not figure out how do we build technology to facilitate hybrid learning? How do we create core collaboration hours? How do we use the savings mm-hmm. to pay for people's childcare? Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. And it's funny because if you look at big tech, they're doing this. And it's because they already have all the data. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And they already recognize that this is where the talent's going to go. Right. The, the people who have the most power and leverage, i.e. white male engineers, they don't want to go in the office. They never have. And so flexibility remote has been the norm before the pandemic at Google and Microsoft and all of these companies. And so it's funny how like the people that are resisting, it just makes no sense. And again, the fact that we're in the middle of the great resignation, 11 million open jobs. Mm. I mean, what I keep telling people is you've got leverage. And again, the young people know that. They'll be like, I'd like a 50% increase in my salary, (laughs) your corner office, please. And maybe I'll come in maybe Friday. Wednesday. Wednesdays. Wednesdays. Yeah, Wednesdays. Definitely not Friday. I'll give you Wednesdays. I'll give you Wednesdays. But go. Good for you because you're understanding what the market is and what you're worth. And it's oftentimes working women, people of color, that value ourselves the least because we've been conditioned Mm. to. And so we're like, please, 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 thank you. Can I, can I, can I, can I? Mm -hmm. Can you please make maybe a closet where I could breastfeed? Mm -hmm. Maybe? Thank you. Like, and this goes back to the mental health pieces. We have to basically teach people how not to sit into fear Mm. and fear of retaliation and how to go into power. Um, but a lot of that means having a different conversation. You know, what's happening with teen girls and the suicide epidemic yeah. in terms of just cutting and eating disorders. It's just the things that we tell women about what they need to do. I mean, even if you think about all the books that are out there, Confidence Code, Lean In, Do Your Power. And again, these are some of my sisters, right? And I was part of this genre of like, you know, fixing yourself. And so I wonder why we think we're so broken, but we're not, we've never been, we've always been more qualified. We've always been prepared. It's never been about us. It's always been about the structure and we can't partake in this kind of ruse anymore because it's literally killing us. And and, and in some ways it's, it's very daunting. It's so ingrained in us, right? Once a day, somebody emails you about imposter syndrome. How do you take that out of the vocabulary? It is a farce. You have imposter syndrome because we've been feeding you these bullshit women's empowerment books for 30 fucking years Mm -hmm. that told you that there's something wrong with you. Oh, I feel like I'm in church. So of course you have imposter syndrome. Yes. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's just, it's, it's kind of crazy, right? Like when you take a step back and you're like, Oh my God, like what have I been eating? It's so That's right. I mean, what have I been consuming? I remember Naomi, God, we spent so much time with like Ugh. that list. We were like, Ugh. you know, we were saying I'm sorry a lot. I remember <laughs> we went on live TV and someone was like, You girls? First of all, the Shine Girls was just everyone wanted to call us the Shine Girls in the in the early stages. Mm-hmm. They're like, these girls. Yeah. 
I remember we went on live TV and someone was like, you girls smile a lot. And we were like, okay, smile less. Like I, I truly remember us like keeping that checklist. And, um, we met someone, um, who we just kind of had crossed paths with. His name was Art Chang. And I remember he had studied intersectional feminism at undergrad in the eighties. And he was really, really wonderful for, for us because I remember saying some of those things like, talking about how, you know, we want to stand in our power. And for us, and maybe you can relate to this, Rashma, like standing in our power, the old version of that was mimicking, was like, how do we be like Mm -hmm. the men? How do we take what's been modeled to us? And clearly it wasn't working and we were feeling it just not, you know, compute in our bodies. And so I remember talking to him about that and he was like, absolutely not. He was like, what if instead of you know, the kind of old adage around, you know, you walk into a room as a woman with a specific resume and that resume is a lot of like, I collaborated and I helped. And the resume from the man might be like, I owned and I did and I led. And he was like, what if men were just more like women? He's like, what if we just, and to the point of like, stop saying sorry, like what's wrong with saying sorry? Like, you know, what's wrong or what's smiling? And I love what you said. I, I wrote it down around, we have to teach people not to sit into fear of retaliation, but to stand in their power. And that I think is, there's just so much to that. And I, um, I would love to dig into that. Just what, what, is, what do you think standing in your power looks like from a day-to-day perspective when you're trying to protect your mental health at work, at minimum, protect your mental health at work? Yeah. So I think pre-COVID when there are not a lot of jobs open or not a lot of opportunities open, you could totally understand why someone's like, just desperately just wanted to work, you know, remotely yeah. on Fridays so they could just have their kids at their feet. Yeah. And that fear of I ask for that, they're going to think I'm less committed mm-hmm. and I'm going to be passed up. And that fear is not crazy. Right. That's exactly what would happen. Right. But now we have this opportunity. And again, I'm seeing this with young women, young women who are childless, coming in and saying, I want this, 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 and this. Because they know that if you say no to me, I got 10 other people who want mm-hmm. me. So how do you translate that sense of again, leverage of the market to also what you want, you know, whatever it is that we, we want to make our lives work. Right. We should be figuring out how do we help women get there? And part of it is like sharing information and knowledge and about like moving out of our fear that we've been so conditioned into. Yeah. Like, I feel like generally, I was always operating from fear. Mm-hmm. I always operate from fear. Yeah. Like even if I think about my schedule, I would, I'm sure you guys can relate to this. I'll say yes to everything because I'm thinking, oh, well, they're not going to offer it to me next mm-hmm. year. I got to go. Mm-hmm. Even though it doesn't work for me or my schedule, I don't want to go or the mm-hmm. kids are sick, blah, 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 blah. I'm always operating that this is going to be taken away, yeah. that I have to do it now, that I have to operate at this level of intensity, that I can't say no. And so I think managing fear is key. Yes. I remember one of the best things my therapist ever said to me is anxiety and stress is real, but anxiety is a manifestation of something deeper. And it's often fear, fear of rejection, fear of irrelevance, fear of failure, whatever it may be. And I think what you spoke to, and I know you've, you've talked about this before as part of pay up is like these four forces of change. And part of that's like setting boundaries and revising what didn't work. And I think it's just so important to name, particularly for marginalized communities, Setting boundaries or designing your life intentionally is something that we're just, I feel like, 
I, I know for me, I haven't felt like I haven't given myself permission to do that. You know, it's like, I'm just so glad to be here. I'm just so thankful <laughs> to get this opportunity and gratitude mm. and humility is beautiful. And I, I appreciate that about myself. And also for the sustainability of that, I have to be able to figure out, particularly at this stage of my life, what can work better. And I think you're, that is such a powerful message as part of who you are, what you've shared with the world, and particularly as part of this pay up conversation and Marshall Plan for Moms is to tell people like, this is the time. This is the time. And if you don't do it, you will burn out. You will break because the systems aren't working to your point. Yeah. I think boundaries are so, we're so bad at boundaries, right? It's like, I'm bad at boundaries at home. Like I'll just do it. And that's why I say, you know, for me, it's like if Nahal's doing nights and I'm doing mornings, I got to leave. Yeah. At six o'clock. So I'm sitting around, if I'm sitting around, he'll be like, hey, can you, you know, can you warm up the bottle? Can you get the diaper? And I'll do it Mm. because I want to do it my way. Right. Right. So taking that time and just leaving and, and, and if, even at work, it's like, who's the one who's organizing the book clubs and the holiday parties yeah. and the speaker series? It's often women and women of color. And that work is not compensated. So it's the mm-hmm. unpaid labor that mm-hmm. we do at home yeah. and at work. And I think being able to set boundaries around that is huge. And people will push back. I mean, the amount of times I say no and then people make me feel bad about it. I'm like, no, no, I said no. Mm-hmm. And, and that's okay. Um, so, and I think even taking time for yourself, I used to, I feel so guilty when I'm having fun that I don't have fun. Mm. I don't take time off. I don't enjoy myself. And you really just can't be even creative if you're not joyful Mm. and there's only 24 hours in a day. And so I think, again, establishing very clear boundaries is about how you empower yourself. So good. We're just like, I'm taking notes. I'm like, this, I need to sit in this. We were like, this is so good. Um, no, go for it. Oh, no, sorry, go ahead, I think we've got just a couple more minutes. So we'll, um, we'd love to do some rapid fire questions and then, um, this is great. Let's do it. So some rapid fire questions for you, Reshma, your best morning self-care hack. Play tennis. Oh, that's good. You've inspired me. I'm not good at tennis, but I want to, I want to get good at I'm it. I'm horrible at it. Oh, okay, but that's a good reminder to still do it even if, you know, I've never played. Okay. Um, when was the last time you laughed really hard? Uh, this weekend. My son sighed. It is just a ham, and he just makes me laugh all the time. Oh, I love that. How old, how old is Sai again? Is he two? Two. No. Two. Yeah. Two. Yeah. He's funny. Cereal? Okay. Oh, wait. Hold on. Do you pour in the milk before or after the cereal is pulled? Uh, sorry, this one's really difficult. Let me try again. Milk before or after the cereal is poured in? After the cereal. Correct. That's the right answer. As Desmar always says, yeah. <laughs> Favorite self-care product? Um, Martha Stewart CBD gummies. Ooh. Oh, love it. Love it. You can look into that. Have to check that out. What's the best advice your friend or therapist has ever given you? Get a humidifier right by your desk. Ooh. We just invested in humidifiers for our home. It's been life-changing. Yeah, huge. Huge. Where do you feel safest? With my dog. Mm-hmm. In her bed. Oh, I love that. What's one affirmation to leave our listeners with? You are good enough. Boom. You're just fine. You don't need to be fixed. I love that. So great. This was um, just gorgeous like I know this is what you do we've heard you speak you're incredible but um it's really special to like to know you 
you know, we were just so giddy about this conversation because we had questions for ourselves, you know, mm-hmm. and just so like vulnerable. I think the vulnerability is the, it's the whole point. And, um, we just really appreciate you taking the time, oh, sharing what's you. on your heart and just being really open. I'm proud of both of you. I'm happy to have you and be in your sisterhood and you're in my sisterhood. And so I'm always cheering you on, rooting you on and in your corner. So keep, keep shining. Thanks. Thank Rashma. you, Rashma. All right, ladies. Love you. Bye. Friends with Mental Health Benefits is hosted by me, Mara Lighty, and me, Naomi Hirabayashi, brought to you by Shine at Work, an employee well-being program rooted in culturally competent care from the team behind the award-winning Shine app. Learn more about Shine at Work by heading to theshineapp.com benefits. And if you liked today's episode, leave a rating and review, and we will see you in a couple of weeks for a brand new episode. Until then, you can download the Shine app in the App Store or Google Play and follow us on social media at the Shine app. We'll see you soon.